Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we turn now to your word, we want to understand it. And for that, we invite your spirit to illuminate your word to our understanding. And Father, we also want to stand under it. And for that, Lord, we invite your spirit to cause our hearts to receive your word gladly, that we might apply it in our lives and live lives that glorify you. So speak to us, Lord, through your word. We are listening. We want to hear from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You, our Lord, who we acknowledge as our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, my family and I took a vacation around Lake Superior, and we tried to visit as many lighthouses around Lake Superior as we could on that trip. Next slide. The lighthouse scene there from Lake Superior. Um, we learned that each lighthouse around Lake Superior has its own unique signal, or at least it did in the days when they were operating before GPS and, and actually people were navigating by them. Uh, the, the pilots of these ships would study the, the pulses of the lighthouse signals, how many per minute, what the intervals were, in order to know exactly where they were on Lake Superior. Guessing the wrong lighthouse could end up in shipwreck. Uh, in this slide, I counted 54 red dots, 54 lighthouses around Lake Superior, each one with its own unique signal. In our scripture passage for today, in Matthew chapter 2, we're told of some men who, like those pilots of great ships, were guided by light as well. These men studied the stars and planets and were guided by them to the place where Jesus was born. We're going to look at the Magi this morning and what it was that guided them. And I think along the way, we're going to find reason to be amazed at the character of God that shines through. So again, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, AJ and Ellen did a great job reading it. I want to read it again just so that it's right before our eyes. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has born, been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. A few questions uh, occur to us as we look at this text. And the first is, who are these guys? Who were the Magi? The word Magi shares a common root with our word magic. And so you might call them magicians in the sense of Merlin the Magician from King Arthur's legends. If you're familiar with the legends of King Arthur, Merlin was a scientist and a close advisor to the king. That comes close. Probably the best translation would be court astrologers. They probably served as advisors to the king of Persia, making forecasts and predictions for their king based on the study of the stars. And they knew an awful lot about stars and planets. We think they were living in a day when everybody thought the earth was flat. But in reality, predictions from men like this about a conjunction of stars and planets that would occur sometime around the time of Jesus' birth were made 400 years before Jesus' birth and were off by only a few days. Amazing knowledge of the heavenly bodies. So likely the Magi were influential and respected men in the service of the government of Persia. You may be wondering what the connection was between Persia and Israel. Well, it began with the Babylonian captivity. Thinking back in our history, we know that the Babylonian Empire conquered the kingdom of Judah, sacked Jerusalem in 586 BC. And when it did that, it had a policy in conquering nations of taking the brightest and best of their leaders back to Babylon with them. And that would enrich Babylon and it would impoverish further the nation that they had conquered. And so among these bright and best leaders that they took back to Babylon was a young man named Daniel. Daniel. Because he could interpret a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, he was given authority in the Babylonian government. Daniel chapter 2. But the Babylonian Empire wouldn't last forever. Next empire on the scene was the Medo-Persian Empire. And it was one of their rulers who allowed the Jews to go back to their homeland. And his name was Cyrus, Cyrus the Mede. So 
Ultimately, the Roman Empire would come to dominate the world next after the Medo-Persian Empire. And it was under the Roman Empire then that Jesus was born. It was under the Roman Empire that these Magi lived. Daniel's writings would still be familiar to them. So now, some 500 years after Daniel, the Magi were studying the written resources they had, including the book of Daniel, and they were also studying the stars. Now, from the writings of Daniel, they would know that a king would be born who would break the power of Rome that extended at the time over the whole earth, and And so the the Magi searched the heavens looking for signs of that king's coming. And they found something that caused them to travel to Jerusalem at the first sighting that Matthew reports in verse 2 and would eventually bring them to Bethlehem at the second sighting in verse 10 and verse 11. Now there's some confusion about timing When did they get to Bethlehem? When did they get to see Jesus? We've all seen and and maybe own uh, um, nativity sets, right? That that show everybody gathered at the same time, right? You know, the angels are there, the shepherds are there, the magi are there, everybody's there. It's a big festive thing as they worship uh, the baby Jesus. But we know from the biblical account that the angels went back into heaven after they scared the wits out of the shepherds on that hillside, right? So they're gone. Uh, The shepherds uh, came to the stable and and worshiped at the manger, and then they returned to third shift on the sheep farm, right? And the magi came sometime later. They came, according to Matthew's account, not to a stable, but to a house, verse 11. And they came not to see an infant on the night of his birth, but to see a child, a toddler, verse 13, uses the word. It's a different word in Greek from infant, refers to a young child. And when we find in verse 16, Herod ordering the slaughter of the innocents, What age does he set? Kill all the male children under the age of two. So it wouldn't have been on the night that Jesus was born that the Magi came, but rather sometime later. They saw the star of Bethlehem. They were guided by it from their home country of Persia. They traveled to Jerusalem. They met Herod, and then they traveled on to Bethlehem where they saw the baby Jesus, the young child Jesus, and worshiped. Their motivation in coming may have been to respond to these signs in the heavens that they had been studying and to pay homage to this new king on behalf of their government. They were, after all, diplomats. And maybe they were coming to offer him a kingship in their own country but his kingdom was not to be of this world. That brings us to the second question. What was the star of Bethlehem? Was it a single star? Was it a group of stars that came close to one another? Was it a supernova, an exploding star? Was it a comet? 
And there have been a lot of suggestions made. If you Google Star of Bethlehem, you'll get a whole bunch of them. But one stands out in particular to me. It was put forward by a Dr. Craig Chester, the co-founder of the Monterey Institute for Research in Astronomy. Now, pay close attention. There will be a test at the end of the service, okay? Here we go. One of the questions we face is exactly when Jesus was born. You'd think, well, the year zero, of course, right? But did you know that the calendar that divides B.C. and A.D. was created by a Roman monk in 525 A.D., and he actually left out the year zero? So there was no year zero, and when you add everything up, you get a date for Jesus' birth between what we now know as 4 B.C. and 1 B.C., Kind of strange to think of Jesus being born B.C., but that's where it falls on the calendar we know. Now, in the years 3 B.C. and 2 B.C., there was a series of close conjunctions involving Jupiter, the planet that represented kingship and coronations and the birth of kings. Can you believe it? It's amazing. It gets more amazing. In Hebrew, Jupiter is known as Sedek, uh, righteousness. Uh, it's a term also used for the Messiah, the righteous one, the Sedek. And in September of that year, 3 BC, Jupiter came into conjunction with Regulus, the star of kingship. Amazing, isn't it? Regulus is the brightest star in the constellation of Leo, the lion. Leo was the constellation of kings, and it was associated with the lion of Judah. So you've got the royal planet, Jupiter, approaching the royal star, Regulus, in the royal constellation, Leo. That's not all. Just a month earlier, Jupiter and Venus had almost seemed to touch one another. They were so close in conjunction. Also in the constellation of Leo. And then the conjunction between Jupiter and Regulus was repeated, not once but twice, in February and May of 2 BC. And finally, in June of 2 BC, Jupiter and Venus, the two brightest objects in the sky, except for the sun and the moon, experienced an even closer encounter when to the naked eye they seemed to touch. Now, that was so incredibly rare, the Magi could not have missed it. In fact, what happened in that time frame was a series of planetary motions and conjunctions full of astrological meaning involving all the other planets known at that time as well. That would have included Mercury and Mars and Saturn, along with uh, Venus and Jupiter. Put it all together, and you've got the Magi paying really close attention. September 11th of 3 BC is maybe the most interesting date of all. Jupiter was very close to Regulus in the first of their conjunctions. And the sun was in the constellation of Virgo, the Virgin. Put that together with a new moon in a configuration 
that fits the description of Revelation chapter 12, which was read to us earlier. Tells of the birth of a male child who is to be the ruler of the universe. That same date, September 11, 3 BC, also marked the beginning of the Jewish New Year, traditionally regarded as the anniversary of Noah's landing after the Great Flood. Now, interestingly, scholars writing in the first and second centuries AD said that Jesus was born between what we now call 4 BC and 1 BC, probably in the fall of the year. September 11 of 3 BC would fit very well. It may be that that was when the Magi saw the star that Matthew reports in verse two, and they began to make plans to follow its lead. The star didn't take them straight to Bethlehem, but it did give them enough information to go to Jerusalem, the capital of the Jewish nation, where they would inquire of Herod, who was at that time king of the Jews. Now Herod, the text tells us, was upset to hear of someone who was born king of the Jews because he himself was only appointed king of the Jews. And it tells us that Jerusalem was upset along with him. Why? Because of what he might do. He was a ruthless dictator. Herod's advisors told the Magi that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And so they headed off in that direction, saw the star once again, this time stopping over the place where the child was, verse 9. That is, the town of Bethlehem. Now, how can we say that the star stopped over Bethlehem? Stars and planets don't stop, right? They just keep on going in their orbits. Well, at times they can appear to stop. Take a look at this slide here. What this slide describes is, is the fact that we, as we observe stars and planets are moving, right? Earth is doing its own orbit. So we're moving and when we see a moving object at a different time, it will appear differently to our eye because we're moving. So the first time we look at it, if you look at, at the far right there, um, uh, item A, Earth, uh, that would be the first time if you're looking at, at, at Mars, it appears to be traveling from west to east. But take a few different looks at it, and it will seem to reverse course. Astronomers call it a retrograde loop. So if you take a time-lapse picture of Mars, it looks like this next slide. Time-lapse picture of the movement of Mars. It's a regular orbit, but Earth is moving as we observe it as well, and so it appears to move back and forth. When the text says the star of Bethlehem stopped over, the star, star, when it stopped over Bethlehem, it would be referring to what we now call the planet's stationary point as it begins its retrograde loop. Here's a a fun little fact for you. I know many of you are educating children at home. Our word planet comes from a Greek word, planao, which means to wander. And so you can see from the perspective of an ancient astronomer, the, the planets seemed to wander. 
Now, sometimes we can experience that ourselves. If you're driving, for instance, on a curve and you line up two objects, like a telephone pole in a building, and you watch the interplay of those things as you go around that curve, you get a feel for this retrograde motion because you are moving as you observe those, those objects. So what would it have been that the Magi saw? They'd have seen this cluster, this conjunction of Jupiter and Regulus, appear to stop at a particular point in the sky. Now we know for sure that Jupiter performed a retrograde loop in 2 BC and that it was stationary on December 25th of all dates. So maybe our Christmas day has more to do with when the Magi found Christ than with when he was born. Now, what do we do with all that? I mean, it's an interesting little science lesson, but what does that mean for all of us? A couple of implications I see in this. One is that God is interested in reaching everyone. He gave the Old Testament to the Jews to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah, but he didn't leave the rest of creation without witness either. Psalm 19 verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. He gave signs in the heavens that would attract people from outside of his covenant people to find the one who would be the savior of the whole world. He is not willing that any should perish. What's that say about your neighbor? You know, the one who sees you going to church every week and sees you going to discovery group and sees you going to work day and just thinks you're out of your mind throwing away your time like that. Is God interested in reaching him or her? He is. What's that say about the person you work with who is so very different from you? How much more different could you get from Persian astrologers? What's it say about the people our missionaries are trying to reach? God is not willing that any should perish. Jesus came for the whole world. The other implication that I see in this text is that God has been interested in reaching everyone since before creation. That's what is mind-boggling to me. In his sovereign power, God laid out the planets and the stars in such a way that at the time of the birth of the savior of the world, they would be aligned precisely as he wanted them to be so that these men from Persia couldn't miss it. That means that before God created the universe, he already knew there would be a need to redeem it. Let that sink in for just a minute. Before God created the universe, he knew there would be a need to redeem it. In wonder of wonders, he created it anyway. He considered it worthwhile. Why? Why create something that is going to cause you such pain? Answer, to showcase his glory. The glory of God is the most important thing in the universe. Knowing him 
And seeing his glory is the most wonderful thing we could experience. And a universe that demonstrates the glory of God is infinitely better than not having a universe at all. Even though not having a universe would be infinitely less painful for God himself. Don't miss the point. God's arrangement of the stars and the planets on the fourth day of creation set things in motion that would guide astronomers one day to the place where the savior of the world would be born. And he set all of that in motion before humankind was created. Before we had a need, he planned the solution to our need. Before creation, God had a plan for redemption. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, speaks of the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus, slain from the foundation of the world. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. In the fullness of time, what had been planned in eternity past, what was set in motion in the creation of the stars was enacted in a manger in Bethlehem and ultimately on a hillside outside of Jerusalem where Jesus paid the price for your sin and mine. At Christmas time, we celebrate what God has provided. Let the wonder of when he planned it fill you this morning. And if you haven't received him as your Savior and Lord, don't overlook the one who planned for your redemption before the first man and woman were created. Light that leads. Have you let it lead you to the manger? Have you let it lead you to the cross? The one who could arrange all of that one who could guide the magi to the manger can be trusted to guide your life. Before he created you, he made plans to redeem you. And if you will trust in him, he will fulfill his unique purpose for you. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. This morning, as we thought about what the Magi saw, the heavens have declared that God planned for your redemption and mine before he even created the universe. The Holy Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. That is good news worth thinking about. It's good news worth acting on. It's good news worth sharing. You'll find some questions for further thought on the insert in your program. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the wonder of what you did in the very order of creation. When you created stars that would guide 
the Magi one day to the stable uh, to see this child Jesus, the Savior of the world, that you set those things in motion before you created our earth. And so, Father, we stand in awe of you. And, Father, we thank you for your provision for our sin that was made before even we were created. And so, Father, I pray that each one of us here would be trusting in you for the salvation that you alone can provide. Thank you that Jesus came, that he gave himself for us, and that by trusting in him, we can know your full forgiveness and we can know fellowship with you. Father, I pray that this Christmas season would give us opportunities to share that good news with others around us who need to know too that a Savior has come. Thank you in his name. Amen.